This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. sort of yeah it's spring into fall so skip that summer season spring into fall it's still summer is it though yeah when does the last day last day of summer is it's usually like my birthday until yeah it's september 22nd so we still got like nearly nearly two weeks of summer left actually hmm you idiot well, don't put away that bathing suit yet yeah, i guess put on that bathing suit put it on now I dare you. I thought I did. I thought I had like a funny summer observation yesterday, but now I can't remember what it was. <laughs> Welcome to Overdue, a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. I thought you might have thought of it in that period of time that I no, gave you. I think it was just something about summer. <laughs> okay. Oh, I w- there were some block parties. Whoa. That's a firework outside, I think. Well, it's um, still summer. So. Yeah, speaking of, like there was there were two block parties happening within like a block of our house and so I was sitting on the roof and doing some reading yesterday and one of them started playing Billie Jean and I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to groove on this. Like this is pretty good." And then the other one like 15 seconds later also started playing Billie Jean and I Whoa. couldn't groove to either of them. <laughs> Because it was some echoey nightmare version. That's of some it. Doppler effect nonsense. I don't dig that. No, I'm all, I'm I got one foot in fall. I ate, I ate a chicken pot pie today. It was Is that delicious. A fall thing was it like a pumpkin spice chicken no, pot pie? But it was like hearty. It was not. I was I felt like I was gearing up for the harvest. Sure. You know, I was not by eating uh, a chicken pot pie. By eating a chicken. That's not a summertime food. Are you kidding? You can eat whatever whenever. I don't know why the seasons are constraining. Like I'm gonna eat ice cream in the winter. I'm gonna eat pumpkins in March. I'm I can eat whatever whenever I want. I'm gonna eat cereal for supper. I do do that, actually. That's not a joke. <laughs> That's not a funny joke. Well, what also isn't a joke is that we're here to talk about books. That's we're deadly serious about that. We're gonna <sighs> talk about a book this week called Girl at War by Sarah, Sarah Novik. Novik. I blanked on her first name for a second. Sarah, Sarah. Novik. Uh, and it was recommended to us by one of our Patreon donors, Ben. So thank you, Ben, for this book. Uh, Andrew, I have, this is her first book, right? So like, we can't do the like, oh, I've heard of, I've read her other stuff. I'm very familiar with her oeuvre. Yeah, she's, she's, Pretty. She was born in 1987, so that's like younger than us. This is her first book. It came Whoa. out in 2015. <laughs> okay. Um, and she's not she's not put another one out yet. So there's just from a literary perspective, there's not a ton to talk about. Um, there were a couple addendums to the the Kindle version that I read. One was an interview with her about um where this book came from, which I think will come up a little bit as we talk about it. And then the other was about how she is deaf and like she oh, yeah. she for a few years as a child, she could hear. And so she 
you know, she learned spoken English and, and stuff like a, like a typical person would, but then, um, she suffered from some undisclosed, like progressive hearing loss. And so now she is deaf and, and communicates primarily, uh, well, she prefers to communicate primarily with, with, uh, ASL, but because, you know, she's, she's a working author and she's giving talks and going and going to things all the time. She does have to speak a lot, but, um, she, she wrote some stuff about what it was like to be a deaf author and mm. talking about how, like, she doesn't feel like she has a very good, like, ear for dialogue. Like, she, she thinks it does. She, she's gotten praise apparently from like people in writing groups and, and professors and stuff like saying that her writing has a really good, like confident rhythm to it, which she says, you know, maybe it's because rhythm is like the part of sound I can still sort of interact with. Sure. But she doesn't have an ear for dialogue because like the feedback she says she gets from writing groups is like real people don't speak like this. They aren't this like direct. And yeah, she's like, she- well, I don't really like, <laughs> I don't have a lot of firsthand experience. So it's interesting. So was this, a reprint of another essay that she had written or was it an interview? Do you I, ima- I imagine so. Yeah. Because I came across um, snippets of it in, I don't remember what the publication she, was. But. She wrote a, like an essay for the guardian for the, yeah, I think I think the guardian. Yeah. I think they're both um, basically the same. One writing. of the things that she has said in that article and also in a couple of interviews about it. Um, I think one was with electric lit and then some others, uh, about how the directness of ASL communication and then by extension, like portions of the deaf community uh, comes from like you, her example that she's given in multiple interviews is if you're having a conversation with at a restaurant and you're going to go to the bathroom, you like tell people what you're going to do. Like if it's going to be a long or a short visit to the restroom because you can't account for people by sound like in a public space Mm -hmm. so there is an intimacy to just like the things you choose to communicate to each other uh if it's going to be a number one or a number two for example because (laughs) and then that might carry over into the types of conversations that you have elsewhere she also i read she was like quoted stephen king or someone like that who said to truly like know how well you're languages as a writer you have to read it out loud to like get a sense of flow and she wonders what she is missing by not being able to do that yeah i mean it's interesting i I feel like that stephen king anecdote is one of those one of those things where like when anybody gives advice about anything what they are really saying is like this is what works for me and don't attack the concept of advice though andrew no no i'm just i'm just saying like a lot of people like this Stephen King quote, it sounds very much like it's coming from a place of, oh, like everyone should do this. This is universally applicable advice. They lose sight of the fact that this just like this is what works for me. I don't I, sure. like, I don't think you should exclude people who can't like hear in, no, in conventional that, and I, ways from like from like true. writing books because you think there's this one one weird trick to help anybody write a book. No, but I'll also like what it that is a thing that has also worked for me when evaluating writing. So I'm fascinated to hear Novik, who is a very successful writer, uh, say that she doesn't feel like she can do that. So I'm also like conversely interested in what if you could dig into it, like what might be different about her prose because she doesn't 
edit her stuff that way. Yeah, and she and she also talked just a little bit about this. Is probably the last thing we need to really hit on, I think. But um, she talked about the subtle like bias of language to say like when you when you've mm-hmm. learned something or when you understand it, you're like, oh yeah, I heard about that, or I've I hear that X is true or something like that. Yep, yep. Whereas um. Like if you're if you're communicating like a lack of understanding, you might say, oh, this fell on deaf ears or like or yeah, like you're not yeah. being heard by somebody or that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it, there's no and there's no like there's no harm meant when people say that kind of stuff. It's just one of those things where like it's like you don't even think about it unless it directly unless it affects you, I guess. Yeah, true. Um, so she has written if you're interested to read a little bit more about uh her thoughts on this on this topic in particular she does have a blog called read it's it's like a play on redefined uh with the word deaf spelled instead of def um that she updates sparingly since this book came out probably because her life changed and she had a lot more other stuff to do um but she also talks explicitly in that blog about uh like the push to put in cochlear implants and like the difference between a child's a deaf child's experience and their parents because deafness is not normally a thing that is like her directly hereditary that way mm-hmm. um you can go read more about that i personally found it interesting that she has also written a bunch for baseball prospectus which is a super nerdy baseball site and yet i went and read a couple of her stuff and it was way more interesting than just let's talk about stats um some good like intersection of culture and politics with sports stuff which i'm always a huge nerd for um, she edits Blunderbuss Magazine, which is, you know, a web mag of short fiction and arts and politics and stuff like that. Um, this book, as we said, came out in 2015. Uh, she was still at Columbia as it was being, like, submitted. It came out of a short story that she had written for a class, and then a professor was like, you're going to make this a novel. Go, 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 go. Yeah, she said the first part exists pretty much as it did in the in the creative writing class that she says she accidentally signed up for, which <laughs> I wanted to know more about how you accidentally do that, especially given that you normally need to hand in a writing sample. Yeah. But, um, but sure, whatever. <laughs> um, it did go on to win the ALA's Alex Award for Teen Readers and Adult Books. Um, it was long listed for the Bailey's Women's Prize for Fiction. Uh, and yeah, we'll dive into the book. It's important. Like she has Croatian parents. It takes place in the like Yugoslav war and other times. But uh, it's one of the interesting things that like every uh, interview about the book has said is that it's not exactly it's not an autobiography. It is like inspired by her relatives and family and stuff yeah something I, something i was surprised to to learn actually because i didn't look up anything about it until after i had finished reading it but um, yeah. we can talk about that a little bit more after we take a break i think yep hey andrew this podcast is brought to you by squarespace whoa squarespace who what i'm so They're confused where a am purveyor i of fine websites uh, including the one that we use for this very show. And did you know that this summer, which is almost ending, is the perfect time to create yet. your own beautiful website? Mm-hmm. You could do it to showcase your work, to make a blog, to sell stuff, uh, or announce some sort of like upcoming event, like a wedding perhaps. 
Um, and they've got all sorts of templates for you to do that. Can you yeah, talk about this the templates, is, Andrew? Yeah, this is like jogging my memory. I think I do remember Squarespace now. Um, so you, you what? Because you, you got those templates. I vaguely recall. Um, I think they have powerful e-commerce functionality that lets you sell so, anything yeah. online. I think. Mm-hmm. Don't quote me on that. I think also that everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. They got built-in search engine optimization or SEO for those of you in the know. Uh, it, the hosting is secure. You don't have to patch or upgrade anything ever to to account for hackers who are going to steal all your credit card information or and your identity and stuff. And if you have any problems, I want. I think I am like ninety percent sure they have twenty four seven award winning customer support. Um, yep, that's. <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, I'm not quite sure what they mean by right out of the box because I think it's just it's software. like a met, like a sort of metaphorical box. Like Me, I think that's what the do you think the it's square, a square box? Yeah, that's what the square and Squarespace is about is the box the metaphorical box that you take it it out of. Great, you can you the listener. Uh, Andrew already remembered all this, but you, the listener, can check out Squarespace at squarespace.com, where you can register your free domain name, start your free website or online store trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code OVERDUE to save 10%. Squarespace. There's no box. (laughs) Hey there, Andrew. Why don't you tell me about this book? Hey, Craig. I think I will tell you about this book because that's what our book podcast is about. Okay. I want to start in a place where we don't always start and we don't always even get to. <laughs> Uh-oh. Which is the title of the book because I think that's a good <laughs> I think that's a good place to start. One of these weeks, I think you or I am just like not going to read the book and the whole podcast is going to be like a book report that you give. Like when you've read the Cliff's Notes and you're just like expounding on what you think the book is about based on what the title is. What? Now I'm just brainstorming here. Uh huh. And and, and this is can... like we're getting all our goofs out now because this book is not it's not lend itself to to goofs. If, if okay, and you edit this out if you think it's too good an idea and someone's gonna steal it. But uh-huh. what if we do an episode in the future for a book that doesn't exist? What does and that? We- mean we just like we just make it up we just like what if do you want oh you want to like fake news punk people and insist that a book exists and do a whole episode about it and see like yes what we can will into existence now do you want our listeners to know and to and to play a prank on non-listeners or do you want to prank the people who download our podcast every week and give us like money and stuff Willy Wonka style, one episode in the next year will be about a book that does not exist, and we will not Whoa. tell you about it ahead of time. Oh, boy. I don't know what you will get if you identify it first, but you will get something. Now, we probably shouldn't make it about the third Willy Wonka book, the third book in that series that definitely exists. Probably not. After I was thinking the about Great it. Glass Elevator. But we we could, but mm. we probably wouldn't. We probably shouldn't. The Great Balsa Wood Escalator <laughs> is the name of that one. Tell me about the title of this book. Tell me about why it's called Girl at War. All right. So the book is split up into four sections and um, half the like sections one and three, I believe, take place in the past um, with this girl named Anna who lives in... Um, 
what is Yugoslavia, but what will be Croatia. Like it's the, the yeah, book sure. takes place um, right around like this, this part of the book takes place in 1991, which is um, when Croatia had like declared its independence from Yugoslavia and mm-hmm. then began fighting for that independence over the next four years. I think it, it was part of the um, breakup of the Soviet Union after the yeah, Cold War. Slovenia ended. at the same time declared independence and then in 1992 formally moved into Bosnia. And this also led to the Bosnian genocide and, and a, it was a pretty bad yeah. time. Um, so. So yeah, so if one and three take place in ninety one, and then from there so in go. in Croatia, yeah, and then yeah. the and then sections two and four take place in in a few different locales, but it's with a twenty or twenty one year old Anna who um, came to America around age ten and has kind of sort of integrated into American society. Okay. So you've got Okay. So you've got girl at war meaning like literally a girl in the middle of a war and you've got girl at war meaning this girl who was old enough while she when she left Croatia to still feel like culturally separate from the US but when she goes back to Croatia after 10 years away does mm. you know she doesn't feel like she's home. Okay. So her like the two sides of her identity warring with each other again, metaphorically, we're talking a lot about metaphors in the ad and I wanted to like draw a connection there. I'm glad that you forged. Yeah. That forged connection. Mm -hmm, That's mm -hmm. that's important. Synergy. It's important to understand metaphors. If you're going to listen to this podcast, we deal in metaphors a lot. What is language? But one big metaphor. I had heard that language was like a simile. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm trying to make language a uh onomatopoeia for something and it's kind of like a puke of some co- a puke of thought. Mac. Language. It's like <laughs> it's the sound you make when you're making points up off the top of your head. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Um so so what do you wanna what do you wanna know? Like there there that's the <laughs> foundation, but like what would you what okay. are you the most interested based on just based on your research about about Novik and some of the stuff that you read about what her deal was? Like what do you what do you sure wanna I wanna into? know about the a little bit more about Anna as a young girl in Croatia, because I want to know how that perspective affects the the telling of the conflict. Because a lot of times when we get war stories, predominantly it's men and often young men. If we're on the front lines, it's like young men kind of uh, all quiet, going all the way back to all quiet on the Western front. Like that's the, or your, your band of brothers or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, how is it different or what is unique about it? based on this young girl's perspective. Well, so what is what you're getting is it is very much a, a young girl's perspective, like a child's perspective, which is to say that like as in as in our lives also, like adults are the ones who do most of the worrying and kids are just allowed to be kids. Like they're not always aware fully of what's going on around them except in in retrospect. And so she lives with her um, her mom and her dad and her little baby sister, Rahela, like not quite newborn, but pretty, pretty young. Okay. Um, and she's how old? Sorry. At this uh, point? She's 10-ish. 
10-ish. Okay. Um, and they live in Zagreb. I'm not going to say that I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's the capital city of Croatia. And that okay, great. sounds about right. So. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> So they are living in Zagreb during this time of tension between um, Croatian people and Serbian people to the point where like when she goes out to buy cigarettes for her dad, like she needs to ask him, okay, which ones should, should I buy Croatian cigarettes or Serbian cigarettes? Because apparently it means something now and Mm. I don't want to like accidentally make anybody mad. (laughs) Okay. Um, so you you see and and from the you know she in the book little anna has the benefit of hindsight i think you see the signs around her of like these increasing tensions and this war which is initially distant but then slowly starts to move a little bit closer to home but also she's a kid and she's just living her day-to-day kid life and like riding bikes with her friend and like when they put up barricades to to protect the city like she, they just like play war around them and and there's a, at one point a line about like how and this this i think comes up a lot in fiction that is about gradual changes and slippery slopes is like you know it's 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 kind of amazing what normal can become if it's sure if you're you know inured to it well and especially when you're a kid and you don't know otherwise and you also don't have direct agency over any of it in mm-hmm. as well in as much as in a large co- like a country of any size of any like reasonable size how much agency a single person has if they're not like an elected official or a general right. or something yeah um does so, it do they elaborate on like the the war games at all is that like a big thing is no, it's it's not passage? a big no, it's not a big old like Ender's, Ender's game thing. You're mostly spending time with the family. Like um also simmering in the background of this is um like Rahela is sick. Okay. In a way that continually gets worse and you know the state of medicine in the city is such that they you usually have to go somewhere else to find a doctor who can help you out. And um so what happens toward the end of the first section which like we talked about was the the like genesis of this book in short story form is um she and her parents pile in a car and go to another city to take like Rahela has gotten bad enough that they are like basically giving her over to a place that's going to take her to America so she can get treated. Okay. And like theoretically she'll come back, but the, you know, the the most important thing is just getting her well because she's progressed beyond the point where people around would, them can help. Would either of the parents go with her or are they just going to put nope. a baby on a plane? Nope, just putting a baby on a plane oh, because God. I, like, I, I don't know what the paperwork situation is like, but I think it's the mission of the organization that they're working with is, is I think, to get babies and, and kids help. Oh jeez. Okay. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's pretty dire. And so they're they're driving back to Zagreb and they come up against this this roadblock. And and you know, this the whole time like they're they're diving into a shelter because of because of air raids and they're like the food is being rationed and like, you know, it's she's still a kid and, and she is still Things still feel normal-ish because it's progressing very gradually, but you, the reader, and I think like future Anna, 
can recognize that things are things are getting a little bit bad. And so they come up against this roadblock and the soldiers there they take them out of their car and like march them and a bunch of other people over to this like pit and they start shooting people. And Anna's parents realize what is happening and her dad kind of leans down and says, you know, when they, they, they're shooting everybody like one at a time um, from left to right. And so her father says, you know, when they shoot me, like fall down with me and then after, and then we'll wait for them to leave and then we'll get out of here. Hmm. And, and she does, but like obviously her parents aren't leaving with her. No. Yeah. But and, like fake it and then go. Yeah, her her dad obviously like like saying this hoping that he can get her out of there, but like not wanting to paralyze her by telling her the full truth, which she is just like barely old enough to grasp at the time. Yeah. Is that all of we get? of her dad in the book is in the first part. Or do we get more of him later? We, we through flashbacks. Mostly we deal with him like all the other, in all the other parts of the book, we are either in Croatia and he has died or we are with her in the future. Okay. Okay. So as far as firsthand looks at her dad, we only get them through her eyes anyway. Sure. And we only get them directly in the first part of the book. It just seems like that's, it's it, interesting to know that there are flashbacks of him because that seems like a moment that then you might return to later on as the book goes or that relationship might have been incredibly defining for you as you then try to live your life yeah. after they're gone. Yeah, yeah, Okay. <laughs> so then is it like that part ends and now we like leaving that scene, we jump cut? Yes, we to... jump cut to, to present day. And so Anna is, uh, is in New York City, has been going to college for a couple of years, like has a boyfriend, has an American family. Um, Rahelo is fine. Her name is Rachel now. And she has met back up with her? Yeah, well, she went to live with the family that was taking oh. care of, of Rahela. Okay. Cool, cool. Um, and so they're still sisters, but like there, there's this divide between them where you know, this American life is all Rachel has ever known. And Anna is caught in between this place where she's kind of had to like to get over what happened to her in Croatia. She has had to suppress it. And she like, you know, she pretends they're her actual or parents and that she was born in New Jersey or whatever. And that she's just fully American and gets away with it most of the time. But like you, the reader know, of course, that that's not there's an irony case yeah ever any time that she says otherwise you know the truth which you know yeah and then because you're in the head you're because you're in her head you also know that she is acutely aware that it's not the truth you know yeah sure um so one of the first things that happens in this in this new section is she is speaking in front of the un and oh that's okay that's a very quick jump like how what is the context for that? How do they just, get her it's, there? It's a smallish, you know, it's it's in New York. It's at the at headquarters and she's just giving, she's helping to give a presentation about Croatia. And she says, um, there is no such thing as a child soldier in, Cre- in Croatia. There is only a child with a gun. Um, it was, it was a semantic argument. And, but just like in the lecture halls at university, they were eating it up. Like she's, having to navigate this this these waters where she has to convey the 
horror of what she dealt with while also making it like grabby and oh. appealing to people who have no like sure. firsthand knowledge of what that kind of stuff is is about. Oof. Okay. Um. So this this presentation digs a, like it it unearths a lot of stuff, and she eventually decides like I I need to go back home and like see if people I knew are still there and just and just see what it feels like because she's she is feeling out of place in America in a way that like dredging all that stuff up is only accentuating mm, mm-hmm. um so like she tells her she she like tells a professor who lends her books about where she's actually from she tells her boyfriend where she's actually from and and it just like they want to be supportive but i don't think she's in a position where she like wants that support and also they don't like fully understand and yeah yeah like don't always want to like deal with like she's the fact that she's like not sleeping and and i don't know it's she's she's dealing with a lot of trauma and so she feels like i think Maybe not not even to get some closure, which is something she actually rails against a little bit in the book. But she wants to go back home and just like and answer some unanswered questions if she can. Yeah. Is there a sense from any of the other like uh, Americans that she's interacting with regularly that like they don't even really know what happened over there? Like I know obviously you said that she's at the UN like giving this speech to enlighten the particular like child's perspective but does the book kind of grapple with the sense that like folks in America w- were or were not well informed about this conflict? Well, something something she a comparison she draws pretty early on and this is this is very much a post 9/11 thing um is you know Amer- America is this country that's at war that also has the luxury of being able to completely ignore that if it wants to like at least yeah. from a civilian's perspective for sure um because all the you know all the wars are happening over there and over here we don't we don't need to concern ourselves with like World War II style like rationing or or things that actually would affect our day-to-day civilian life very true and and what it means for you to participate in the armed forces and our relationship to veterans when they come back and service members while they're here. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't, she doesn't get into that. Like she's not, she's not really concerned with the American service member. No, she's no, just, I'm, she's I'm con- elaborating on your point. Sure. I'm, sure, sure. I'm, yes. Um, she, she's just contrasting like when, when I was in Croatia and it was at war, like that affected every single facet of every person's life, even, like 10 year old kids. Yeah, sure. And America is this country that is just permanently at war now, I guess, and continues to be. But, um, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it for most of us. And no, we, not and, at all. and, and so we don't have to think about it most yeah. of the time. Yeah. I know. I mean, I know that's true of, of me and, and of you and of almost all the people who we know, but, um, yeah, and and it's an interesting thing that uh, even it, it's regional too. Like I don't know a lot of folks. I could count on one hand the number of folks that we went to school with or that I went to high school with that ended up in the military. Whereas I think other, you know, certainly other parts of the country that is that ratio is very different. Um, different 
walks of life are are more prone to you know go into military service rather than you know go pay for private college yeah because i mean i think from for for some like poorer families especially and i I think i think this was true of my um some some people in my family i don't i don't want to like speak for too much on this because i don't want to say anything stupid from lack Um, of from like lack of knowledge but yeah yeah for for a lot of people like it's you know you you are taking a government job with pretty good benefits and a chance to get an education and do all kinds of stuff that might otherwise be out of out of reach for you so yeah like i like we we are removed from that motivation by at least like a step or two um, yeah yes and then and then whether or not anybody making those choices that that really directly impact their day-to-day lives have anything have any say over you know this kind of endless war that is going on they don't um but they're making you know yeah yeah it's an interesting thing it's this distancing effect is is very uniquely american um especially when we got rid of you know the draft and, and compulsory military service. That's not right. that. That's the thing that plenty of countries around the world have that we will just never in our, in our current structure. That's not a thing that's going to happen. So I feel like I, I should know that that even though politically the draft is not tenable anymore, like absolutely the, the mechanics of it are still there and we all get to sign up for selective service when we're 18 and just hope just hope that it remains politically unpalatable, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so she is collapsing this distance between herself and conflict. She is going back to Croatia. Well, and this, this is in the early 2000s. Like, the war is over. Yeah, no, no, no. Yes, of course. But um, she is but- going back to the place where the war happened. It is not, It is. She's going back to the place where it was very real for her. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. And so so part three is like part two ends with her like she's gone back over to Croatia and she's met up with her closest childhood friend and they're kind of interacting, but they're sparking off each other in weird ways, like sometimes sexual and sometimes like they don't actually do anything, but there exists between them the understanding that it could happen if they wanted it to. Um, Yeah. And in cultural ways where like her Croatian is the Croatian of somebody who left when they were 10 years old and like people, people make fun of her like childish grammar sometimes to the point where she doesn't want to like talk so much with native speakers. It'd almost Um, be easier just to say, you know what? I just speak English. Sorry. Like, well, not, not even that, but like she, with, with her friends, they understand, they, um, they develop this sort of halfway language where they speak in Croatian but words she doesn't have she'll just like throw out there and then like conjugate in Croatian ways okay cool um but this this section ends with them coming to this bit of road in a forest and then we go back to uh we go to part three we go back to her as a child in this section of forest like she realizes that this is this is the place where she was directly after her parents died. Okay. And so this is, this section is her closest, her like closest actual brother. Like she is, she is in the war here. Sure. Like she, so she's traumatized. She doesn't talk. She gets discovered and brought into this village and like 
drafted into this society, not not like society, but this this group of of like preteens basically who aren't like old enough to be soldiers, but who are old enough to like help get equipment ready. And yep. like they, they should know how to like field strip a rifle and, and stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so she is, she is here. She has these experiences and it, it, the, this section culminates with her actually shooting and killing somebody. Oh, Okay. Um, and then, like uh, th- that, but why? <laughs> well, because is, like... there are there are soldiers who are coming into the village, and all the you know all the kids need to run, and she's you know she's mm. got a gun because she needs to have a gun, and she escapes serious injury, but she is trying to go back to the village afterward to like to get word to somebody that someone else has been hurt. And in so doing, she comes across one of these soldiers and she just shoots, the, she, she shoots him. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's So yeah, she, okay. she starts talking again after this experience is cause she needs to like to convey what has happened to people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this, this person who has told her, you know, if you, if you can tell me where you're from, I can try and get you back there. So she briefly goes back home to Zagreb and her parents, best friends, help her like through a UN contact they have help basically smuggle her out of the country. So this okay. is, this is that bridge between, between parts one and two chronologically. Sure. Sure. Okay. Um, and like, who are they? What is, do we, are they characters of note? Are they means to an end? They aren't, they, they don't play a huge role. Part four is mostly about her trying to find them if she can. Oh, okay. Um, and I, I guess I don't need to get into like whether she does or not. Sure. But, um, but yeah, that, that, that's, that's pretty like narratively. That's pretty much the, that's pretty much the book. Like that's, that's the arc of it. Okay. What is this? Like just war, wartime experiences as told through the eyes of somebody who experienced it and then got away and is now coming back. And yeah. dealing with this, the, these like clashes between nostalgia and Croatianness and Americanness and all all that stuff. Yeah, the it's interesting the the two like most violent scenes that you've described being from a child's perspective because I feel like those are scenes, things like those. Uh, tropes like those exist in a lot of war stories, but it's usually as a like motivator for someone who's going to go off and do something about it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, they, oh, you know, they, they did it to, you know, they killed kids. They're terrible people. Like, we got to go get them or something like that. Or uh, they're forcing these kids to do something, and that's information relayed elsewhere as opposed to like from the kids' perspective. Is there anything about like? I was just, you were describing it. Was it harrowing to read? What was the vibe of it as you, Andrew, were reading it? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say harrowing. Like I, I've talked about a couple of times. I mean, we've, we've both had books that we've read that have made us like actually physically uncomfortable. Like it's, it's, it's been a thing where we've actually had to put books down. Yeah, for sure. And, and walk away for a bit and come back that, you never get that here. Like the, okay. the story is conveyed very, um, 
Like, like we, we talked a little bit about, about Novik's like sense of rhythm. It's, it's very like confidently delivered and you in part one, you, you like, no, you know, no one is, nobody's getting out of this unscathed. Like either this baby is going to die or something worse is going to happen. Like the fact that her parents just straight up get executed is something you don't see until just before it's going to happen. Okay. Like yeah. you, like the, the main familial tension is, is, you know, this baby is sick and how do we, how do we help this baby? Yeah. And, and like, Oh, maybe for that to go. And bad, like, maybe, sure. maybe dad will get called to the front line. Well, no, he has actually, he has, um, some kind, I think it's some kind of vision thing, something that prevents him from being like primo draft material. Like he could go and he could help on some like administrative something, but Oh, okay. Yeah. There, there actually is a little bit like as, as you're digging into her dad, you get a little bit of him feeling like he can't protect his family. Hmm. And that actually is, is some of what drives him to get Rahela away. Is, Cause that's like a thing he can do. Yeah. It's a thing yeah. he can do. And also, you know, he, he knows on some level that stuff is is worse than it seems to the rest of the family, and you know, yeah. if if he can get their daughter away from this and like out of the war zone, then he's gonna do it. Yeah, because it's not gonna get better for them there. No, is, not is not his view. not before it gets sure. worse. You know, not before it gets worse. Yeah. Um, so you're saying it's not like harrowing. It's not. It wasn't upsetting to read. It's more. No, it's just it's very clear eyed. And and so let's let's talk about um, Novik herself because like like I said, I was surprised to know that this wasn't a firsthand account because it's delivered very. Like I I don't want to say I know what the experience of a child soldier in Croatia in 1991 was, but sure the story is delivered so like it's so detail oriented and so like careful and methodical and, and like complete as a story that it might, you might feel like it was an yeah. autobiography. And so, yeah. and so she, she talks, Sarah Novik does about how she has, she has family in Croatia still, and she goes there most summers and she said specifically in the bit of in the bit of interview that I read that like she is an outsider, but she isn't like she is she's an American, but she still has ties. And something about that makes her Croatian family like willing to open up and discuss things in a way that they might not be with with people who live through it, who already know or people who are totally outside it, who might not understand. Yeah, she said that she took a. One of the interviews I read, I don't know if, which there were like fourteen of them. They're all very good. But you can go, <laughs> just Google Saranovic interview; you'll find one of them. Um, where she took a trip when she was like seventeen, and that's when this kind of started happening. Where it was like folks who were very eager. To, the word she uses a lot is eager to tell her. Um, and then she got back and went to college and realized that like a lot of the people she was meeting had no idea where Croatia was on a map, had very limited knowledge about this conflict at all, um, which I certainly feel myself like even I needed a refresher on what exactly happened just to come into the podcast because I was five when it started. And as she says in some interviews, it was pre 
Like it was not the internet was not really a thing, and certainly not internet news and the way that we consume it, even from you know the days of nine eleven and, yeah, and right. cable news and stuff like that. So while people knew about it, uh, it was not the same type of thing. Um, she does does this factor into the novel at all, Andrew? As you recall, she answered a question about people's differing accounts of what happened. Um, with this interesting anecdote that she left out of the book on purpose. Uh, her quote is, I had a couple friends who told the story that there used to be a McDonald's in uh, Zagreb, and after the first air raid happened, it closed. And that, and she put in the book, and then she says, but then other friends were like, no, there was never a McDonald's here. McDonald's <laughs> didn't come till after the war, and it was the symbol of capitalism or independence or whatever. So I didn't know what the answer was, and I couldn't really work it out, and I took it out of the book. Um she she was answering a question about like the fallibility of memory. Does that factor in at all? She does. She does talk a little bit about that. Like she has a couple pictures that she managed to grab before she was rushed out of the country, and she talks about like, oh, if I like if I if she. yes yeah yeah, um, I can you know I can remember like parts of my parents faces and I, and I look at this one picture of them I have and I can remember, but like, I don't remember what they smelled like. And I I, like gradually I am forgetting about them. And also like, am I like starting, she's starting to wonder like, am I remembering the details about what happened to them and what they were like? Like, am I, am I starting to misremember things just because memory is so fluid? yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I think the the McDonald's anecdote it both like speaks to that and also to her meticulousness as a mm-hmm. as, as somebody who is presenting this as a firsthand account but like is like knows that it isn't it, it other, speaks it speaks yeah. to her make, making sure that she at least honors the memory of people who live through it even if it's not 100% factual across the board. Like it it feels real. And I know that that, especially in this day and age, like saying that something feels true, I'm just like immediately suspect (laughs) of that. But but this, this feels true in a way that I think is like well served by her, like taking out stuff that she can't corroborate or like can't yeah yeah like that's that's like a media literacy 101 thing that i feel like not everybody (laughs) appreciates the other anecdote she shared across a lot of interviews was about uh just trying to represent the complexity of the conflict or at least understand it you know from an outsider's perspective yeah i I had pulled i think i'm i've probably pulled the same quote up but uh, like she talks about how like it's very easy to reduce it to an eth- and like an ethnic conflict, even though you know it certainly was, but there were also a whole lot of other power dynamics and governing dynamics at hand, including, as she says a lot, like just roads and who was in charge of which way different roads went. Yeah, she said uh, one big point of contention was road construction. The capital of Yugoslavia was in Belgrade, Serbia, so most of the country's money went toward building roads horizontally so Serbs could get to the Adriatic Sea. While travel vertically within Croatia and Bosnia was very difficult and nothing was being done about it. Um, yeah, on the on the one hand, it was about ethnicity because there were territories that contained ethnic majorities. However, like any war, this one was mainly about power and money, she says. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it sounds yeah. mundane, but I think that kind of thing was at least as much of a factor in the split as the ethnic tensions were, though the media only focused on the latter part because it made an easier and more sensational story. And I think you can go like how many conflicts in Muslim countries are just broken down to like Sunni Shiite something or yeah. other. And like, that's mm-hmm. the most anybody bothers to understand about it. Oh, and the other thing about Yugoslavia and it, it's not unique to Yugoslavia and, and the conflict that arose there, but what happens when states get created after another war? Cause like Yugoslavia was in, in its form leading into the nineties was created after world war one and then you just have you have different ethnic groups and different cultures kind of like forcibly clashed as opposed to kind of organically meeting yeah, and then, and then a, after into- you know after world war ii it, it reformed again because that was another huge yep. like border sh- and allegiance shifting event that happened in europe so yeah it's yeah hmm hmm humanity's got some work to do <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, that's like, uh, do you have any others like specific questions about stuff? Because that this is a it's a really compelling and quick book. I think it's a re- it's a really confident and really good debut novel by cool. anybody. Sure. I think. And then like that, that alone is enough to recommend it. I think like if, if you're the kind of of reader who likes to add stuff from our show to your to be read list like this is mm-hmm. this is one you should throw in that pile because it's it's really good and it will send you down a research rabbit hole about like post cold war power dynamics and yugoslavia <laughs> and croatia like this is just stuff it's it's an area of the world that that I as an American do not know a lot about and I could stand to know more about it. And this like sure. this will if if what I have if how I have felt is an indication, it will make you feel very acutely your lack of knowledge in that area and it will make you maybe try and chase some of that knowledge down, which I think is a good it's a yeah. good thing a book can do. Like if a book makes you want to go and learn more about the world around you, then Good job, book. Good job, book. Uh, we said that she has not released a follow-up novel. I did see some uh, quotes from her saying that it might be set at a school for the deaf, or she's like she's very aware of the fact that like ASL is not represented in novels, yep. um, and she's trying to find a way that to do that in a way that she thinks is is interesting and satisfying to a reader mm-hmm. um and that dovetails with because she's also like she's done a lot of translation or she's interested in like translation studies so i know that she did some croatian like poetry translation and stuff like that mm-hmm. um it's interesting that you brought up this the sections where she's like anna is speaking croatian imperfectly yeah. to people mm-hmm. that seems like a thing Novik is also interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's the show. I think that's what we got, Andrew. Cool. Great. Another job, another Andrew. great podcast. Good job. <laughs> um, if you, the listener, want to uh, reach out to us about this episode or some of our other episodes, uh, you can do so through social media using Twitter or Facebook at Overdue Pod. I love I'm that social going- media. 
I am not going to list the Facebook names because I put out a thing for National Whoa, Read a Book yeah. Day. I'm kind of feeling like we need to ask people what they're reading more often because that gets them <laughs> that gets them good clicks. And like 50 <laughs> people just went on a tear listing books that they're reading. And many of them were not books that we've covered. Some of them were. Um, but if you need a book to read and we and you've read all the stuff that we're talking about, like go to our Facebook page and find that post because there's a whole bunch of books you could read. Uh, you can also go to Twitter where I'm just going to give three shout outs this week. I want to give a shout out to Graham who thought that I'd gotten a little women part wrong because he didn't finish the podcast, but also because little women is published in two parts and is confusing to people. I'm not going to uh, lie. I did not understand what the conflict in that conversation <laughs> was about. We figured it out. <laughs> uh, I'll give a shout out to Kenneth who got mad at me for not liking Tom Bombadil. Hashtag sorry, not sorry. I'm sorry, Kenneth. I, I got um, really mad about Tom Bombadil too. So I'm going to just say on my behalf, also, sorry, not sorry. Tom Bombadil And sucks. I want to <laughs> give a shout out to Correctual who reminded us that Will Smith's full name is Willard, not William. And I just want to say, Andrew, that if corrections like this are our brand, then I'm really excited. Like learn, <laughs> like this is actually Will Smith's name. We've gotten, I think we've gotten that one before. Or we've gotten it in our we've lives definitely, together. We've gotten that one. Yeah, we've gotten that one before. And I'm just like, I'm here all for it. The, I'm here to be reminded of for all it. the reasons why I know what Will Smith's full name <laughs> is. I'm glad it's because somebody corrected me because of my book podcast. <laughs> Uh, you can send in corrections. You can also send in questions for our September Q&A episode uh, to overduepod at gmail.com. Andrew, what do folks need to know about our glorious website? If people want to know about our glorious website, that's, you know, you're in luck because all you got to do to find out more is go to it at overduepodcast.com. Um, this week, I want to draw attention to our Patreon project. It is a way... That if if you've listened to this episode and said, you know, those boys seem like they got it going good. I would like to give them some money. You should go to our website and then click that Patreon link or go to patreon.com slash overdue pod. If you donate at the $5 a month level or above, you get to recommend a book that we then bump to the top of our queue. Like you can recommend us a book any old time. We definitely go to that like general suggestion list when I, when we're trying to program the show and we need like a specific kind of book or a specific length of book. But if you want a guarantee, we're going to read it. Patreon is the way to do it. And this book would not have gotten covered if not for the Patreon project. Thank you, Ben. Uh, Craig, what are you reading next week? I am reading the tyrant or the traitor. It's called the traitor. The traitor. Well, the guy wrote a book called The Tyrant also, and I got confused. Well, make sure you're reading the right one. The one on the no, website I, is The Traitor. <laughs> I have the right one. I'm reading The Traitor by Michael Sisko. Yep. Uh, and then after that, you also wrote The Thong Song. That's not true. <laughs> Save those jokes for next week. They'll still be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you're reading Bridget Jones' Diary, which I'm very excited for. It's also me. Um, also I am. Yeah, that's what I said. You're doing it. We're both. No, I mean, I'm excited about it. Oh. We're both excited about it. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for listening. <laughs> we'll be back next Monday. And until then, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.
Oh, make sure you put Squarespace in the file name when you upload it. Oh, to the the air yeah. check thing? Yeah. Oh, did we get yelled at about that? No, but we're the only people who have ever not done that. I, I, I've eh, checked. They haven't asked us to do it. Eh. They did when they asked us to do ads yeah, in the first place. But we haven't done it like lately. I've gone back and renamed them uh, so that they well, know. Well, I mean, I haven't <laughs> ever had to do that, so maybe I'll just let you keep doing it. That's okay. You should do it, though, when you export the ad if i'm not too busy i'll do it okay now you're just being a tool that's cool i don't really like that band even that's fine that's not where that idiom comes the idiom did not come from the band (laughs) the the lead guy in tool is a really big jerk and so when anyone's a jerk you say you're being a tool Uh uh-huh uh-huh words are funny yeah, sure. 